Welcome to Restitch America, a podcast about restoring civility, strengthening patriotism, and rebuilding unity in America. My name is Almohine Opari. As an immigrant for nearly two decades and a new American citizen, I created this show to help heal our national conversation, to rekindle our pride in our country, and to rebuild our sense of patriotism through optimism, civility, and willful positivity. Now sit, relax, and let's restitch America. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Restitch America. My name is Almohini Opari, and I'm very excited to be here with you today. This is episode number 12 of season two. And in this episode, I will be turning the reins of the podcast to some really good friends of mine from the Just Think, the podcast. And what we're going to do today is they're going to interview me on my new book, My American Privilege. So sit, relax, and enjoy this interview that I had with the Just Think podcast. It was a great conversation, and I'm sure you're going to love it. Also, today is my 40th birthday, and if you've been following me, this is also the launch date of my book. So my book, My American Privilege, is now available on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon and you search for My American Privilege, my book should come up, or you can go to AmericanPrivilegeBook.com to get your copy. Thank you so much for your support, and I look forward to hearing from you about the book. Now, let's enjoy the interview. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Just Think, the podcast. This is Holly. And Amy. And Kristen. And our good friend Alma's back in the house with us today. If you have not listened to our previous episode with Alma Ohene Apare, we highly suggest, especially (laughs) with the headlines in the media today, Mm. You listen to a perspective and you go and follow him on Instagram and, and on his social media channels, Twitter, because he has a voice of an immigrant who came to the United States legally. And he has a unique perspective on our country, on immigration, but also a unique gratitude that is so yep. easy for those of us who are born and bred in America It's so easy for us to take for granted. And we were drawn to Alma when his first video went viral because he did a rebuttal to President Biden on a statement that he made. And it was that unique perspective and the willingness to respond calmly, which we're going to talk about today. (laughs) Uh, I don't think he's always been calm, but he had such a calm and thoughtful response Mm -hmm. that is really rooted and grounded in facts and in critical thinking, which of course, if you're fans of the podcast, you know, Kristen, Amy, and I are highly passionate about critical thinking. And so today we have Alma back with us because thank God he has put his eloquence to paper and has a book that has just come out my American privilege that you guys are all, it's an easy read. He's a great storyteller. You're all going to want to go get it. And we'll certainly put the links in our sub stack. So if you are not currently subscribed, it is free. You can pay if you want to make a donation to us. We're so grateful for our paid subscribers. And we, we plan to offer more content to just you as well. But I will say, go follow it because it's where we put all of our resources. So anytime you guys contact us and say, 
where is this, that, or the other? It's all on our Substack. So go check us out there. Alma, thank you for being with us today. We are so excited to start diving into your book. But before we get started, will you remind our audience really quickly how you became a face that people became familiar with on social media? What was your response? What did President Biden say? And what did you respond? How did this all get started? So this all started in 2021. And this was... um, around September, I believe it was September 1st. And the president had a press conference, um, not a press conference, actually a televised um, speech. And this speech was billed as, you know, the speech to save democracy from the ultra MAGA Republicans who are trying to destroy the country or something like that. And so I was listening to the speech and the president painted a picture of what he understood a MAGA Republican to be. And in that process, he said a whole bunch of things that I thought were completely fabricated, were completely um, not representative of who the people who supported, you know, Donald Trump are. And then also, basically, the thing that really bothered me was the president of the country was saying something about a group of people in the country, literally 70 million people in the country, and suggesting to those people that they're basically a lost cause as far as he was concerned, right? And the thought that always uh, came back to my mind was, if I have children in my home who have seen me with my you know, MAGA hat, or I'm a grandparent and my grandchildren have seen me with a MAGA hat, and then they hear the president saying to the world that these people hate America, they hate the Constitution, they hate law enforcement, they hate our way of life as Americans, What is that person supposed to think? And in that moment, I thought someone has to respond to this. And so I created a a video, which I titled Message to the President of the United States. And in the moment I was creating it, I thought, you know, of course, he's not going to see this. You know, it's probably, you know, one of those feelings you have and you post something and you get a hundred views. Right. And then I posted the video and my phone started to blow up. And the main message that I got from a lot of people was that you are articulating the things that we're feeling in our hearts. And sometimes we don't have the voice. We don't have the, you know, the eloquence to be able to get it out in a thoughtful and respectful way. And, and that was the beginning. So I had the opportunity then to go talk about it on Fox news, on Newsmax, on OAN. And I had the opportunity to meet people like you who are like-minded people who are trying to help people kind of think critically mm-hmm. and stop, you know, I, the way I put it is this, reclaim our narrative. Yes. We are allowing people to define who we are and it's high time we reclaim that narrative and stood up for ourselves and define who we really are. And the way we do that is not to contribute to the vitriol, but to speak calmly and boldly and firmly because we have the facts on our side. Woo! Yes. Drop the mic right there. That's it. What are you going to say, Amy? I said said preach. (laughs) Preach. It It is so true. And I think that's been really hard, especially when the other side, I hate to even say that it sides, but of course we've been divided and I think that's intentional. The other side says things about us that we know aren't true, but they also, um, portray themselves as the acceptors of humanity, except just not us. 
Right. So exactly. you're the tolerant ones, except just not tolerant of us. You know, yeah. you're the ones who believe you should be free to do whatever you want, unless it's not along our narrative, unless it doesn't fall in line with what we say. And this is where that gaslighting kicks in. And we start to feel like they're going to make us crazy, that yep. they're going to they're going to make us because cra- they keep saying what we know are lies, whether they're lies they actually believe or they're lies that they know are lies, but they're going to keep saying them to continue to hold on to power. Whatever the case may be, we don't know their intentions. We just know, and we don't know every single individual's intentions. We just know what the movement does. Mm -hmm. And it makes those of us who don't fall in line with the movement. And frankly, I think many of us really feel politically homeless. We don't really align with a lot of what's going on. But we know that we don't align with that, right? And, exactly. And so we are on the side of truth and we're all seeking what's true and what's right and what's good. And so when you have someone on the other side saying, no, every, no everything you think is wrong and bad and evil, but you know that's not true, <laughs> it literally is what's causing an angst. And I think that's why so many people reached out to you, Alma, is that you said it mm-hmm. without emotion that was not the emotions of anger, or retaliation, but of truth bearing facts. We're going to set the record straight here. We're going to bring clarity where there's confusion, right? Exactly. And I think that's why you have resonated so strongly and continue to have this following of people because your voice is a unique perspective, but it's also delivered in a unique way. And, and, and I want you to tell people because obviously you are not from the United States. Mm-hmm. You're from Ghana. But um, and you write about this in your book, so we don't want you to give away too much that's in the book because we want people to go read it. But tell them your background because I think this is important. How where you started, how you got here. So um, I grew up in Ghana. I was born in the eighties, mid eighties. <laughs> so <laughs> I grew up in Ghana, and for all intents and purposes, I had a great childhood. So I am not the quintessential, you know, picture of Africa of starving children and things like that. My parents were well-to-do relatively. Um, and I, I grew up in a home that believed in education as the key to economic opportunity. So growing up, education was a paramount principle in our home to the point where my mom actually built private schools to give education to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. So I attended my mom's school and... One of the things I talk about in the book was the political climate in which I grew up in, which um, a lot of people are fond today to talk about coups and, you know, January 6th was a coup and things like that. And I'm like, you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) (laughs) You don't know what you don't know. And, And so I grew up under a military dictatorship and I talk about that and, and some of the things that were happening today in America, you hear about the Supreme Court and people calling the Supreme Court illegitimate. But then imagine growing up in a place where three Supreme Court justices were summarily executed in the night and you woke up and found their charred bodies, you know, in some field. Right. And so this is the kind of conditions under which I grew up. And I tell people for the first 16 years of my life, I only knew one president. And so, and that president came through, came to power through a military coup. So I think my talking about my background, um, it is a, an experience in kind of a system where I, I, the way I put it is 
my rights were not always guaranteed. Mm. And one of the biggest challenges for me, even though I came from a relatively privileged background, one of the challenges for me was I always felt stuck. I felt like I had been created in a way that my mind and my heart and my ambitions were bigger than the society in which I was born into. And I had two choices. I could make that my limitation and adjust my goals and adjust my dreams to fit the situation I was in, or I had to find an outlet somehow. And that's what I determined to do is to find an outlet. And as you read the book, you will find all the different things that I did, all the daring moves that I I attempted, all the embarrassing things that I put my parents through just (laughs) to get the opportunity to break out of what I felt was was something that kept me confined. And the principle that took me through all this was a principle that I I didn't have a term for, but I heard um, a few years ago that really stuck with me, which is, let your dreams be bigger than your fears. Yes. And that principle is what kind of held me together and said, if only I could dream bigger than my fears, then I could go and attack those dreams without consideration to what I was afraid of. And it allowed me to kind of get out of my comfort zone and do things that other people wouldn't do. And, yeah. and so that's kind of my background generally. Yeah. Um, outside of that, you will learn a few tidbits here and there uh, <laughs> about my life as I think about it, about my life and all the shenanigans that I got myself into as a kid. And this is just a fraction of the things that I did as a child, but uh, you will learn more about it in the book. We were all talking about it. Kristen, Kristen <laughs> called you the destroyer before we, caught, we jumped on because, you know, we know you as Alma, the articulate, thoughtful, uh, almost careful. Like I could just listen to you all day. Like, oh, you're so calming. And I'm just, and you are now. <laughs> it is just funny. Like, it, it gives me hope with my kids, too. There is hope. Yep. But you know, yeah, I am surprised that I turned out this way. <laughs> well, with, you know, I think the, the quote is attributed to Steve Jobs, but I'm not sure he said it. You know, when he said, here's to the misfits, you know, here's mm-hmm. here's to the ones who don't who are the square pegs in the round holes and they don't fit. They don't fit because they are the ones that will change the world. I mean, that's essentially mm-hmm. the summary of what they say. And yep. um, I think all of us, you know, feel all of us who felt different or felt like we were called to something different when we were younger, realized they were the God-given gifts that were caused us to be the challengers to challenge the status quo, Exactly. which which society will always need. Society will always need someone to say, Hey, wait a minute. Is that true? Is that right? Is that good? You know, and be willing to speak out on it. And so I think that's one of the things that you learned growing up and guys for real, like when you read about what Alma experienced as a child from his own government, it's, it's like it's like you said, it makes January 6th look like a cakewalk. And I think, too, with January 6th, like these are, you know, let's say that the right tends to be the more heavily armed population of America, yet they brought no guns to the coup. They brought no weapons to the coup. They brought nothing but themselves and their presence into a government building. Not Listen, I am not at all giving any kind of opinion on what happened. I'm saying the facts are that. So if we wanted to overthrow an election, and I'm not saying we, I was not there. If, if a group of people wanted to overthrow an election, 
they would have had a much more effect. They, they could have thought of much more effective ways to do it. And, and I think, um, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but one of the okay. things I wanted to bring up is we are going through what I believe is a usurpation of our language and a deliberate misrepresentation of what the words that we speak mean. Mm -hmm. And as you've described me, I care about how I present myself and, and the kind of words that I use because words have power. Yes. And words can either encourage or discourage. Words can either incite or, mm -hmm. or generate an emotion of patriotism. Words have a lot of power. And, and the people who have determined that they can use words to manipulate are hard at work right now, attempting to confuse and create chaos by distorting the meanings of words. So when you hear the words coup, when you hear the words insurrection, those words have connotations, historic connotations. And what they're doing is taking those words and retrofitting what they want into the historic connotation of the word. Mm -hmm. And for people who are not critical thinkers, they get swept along. And so you hear people who, for matter of factly, just say, we had a coup in this country. And I'm like, do you understand the import of that statement? Mm. Like, do you understand what it means to have an insurrection? Do you mm. understand that? Because if you believe that, you know, a demonstration that turned into a riot is the definition of an insurrection, then the, the danger that we place ourselves under by accepting that definition is the fact that now demonstrations can now be called insurrection. So imagine that tomorrow we decide a march on Washington and then suddenly that demonstration is defined as an impending insurrection. Mm. And what happens next is a clampdown on your rights. Because once it's an insurrection, then martial law can be declared. And so the meanings of words oh. are crucial to how, whether we are able to ret retain our rights, mm. right? And, and some people don't realize that this is a tactic for control. Because when there is enough chaos, if there is a coup behind every demonstration, if there is an insurrection behind every, you know, cry to be heard by the populace, then the FBI, then the CIA, then all the intelligence agencies have an impetus to go and crack down. Mm -hmm. So when you hear things like, oh, bank records are being checked for words like MAGA and Trump and things like that, that is the impetus that allows them to go and do that and infringe on the privacy and the rights of Americans because they've already transformed the words mm. to mean something that it's not. Right. And, and then that, that is so important. That's actually a, like something that is so important that we recognize because how many of you have seen the videos lately? And I've seen them more coming from black Americans, except for Jessica Krause, house and habit, um, a, an account we love to follow because she is a citizen journalist who is covering both the RFK and the Trump campaigns because they invited her to, and she's doing a beautiful job of mm -hmm. showing the humanity of both men and their campaigns and right. their supporters, which I think, and she was a Trump hater almost. She was a, she hated Trump until she said she started to go watch his full speeches. And then she would say, wait a minute, they took a soundbite 
to twist what he said. And within context, what he said was true. And we know that Trump does that because he doesn't have speechwriters all the time. He's talking off the cuff much of the time. I wish he would hire me as a speechwriter. I wish that he would. <laughs> yeah. oh, 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 we yeah. wish since 2016 that he just maybe <laughs> listen sometimes to some folks who could do it a little better, right? But, but, but I think, too, what we love about Trump is it causes you, when someone says what they think and they mean what they say, you trust them. So it's wild, but I think he's built trust that way too. People are like, well, at least I know where he stands. Right. At least I know where he stands on this. But I think you're seeing more and more Black Americans say, I thought Trump was racist. Remember this? I thought Trump was racist. Why did they think that? Because the left told them that. The left said, look at Charlottesville when he said there were good people on both sides. Well, go watch the context of the whole speech. It's not how he said it. And I think that's where we are, Alma. It's like the sound bites, and we've got to get mad enough at the media that we fire all of them. Mm-hmm. Because thank God, and the media is starting to have to fire the, the LA Times, the New York Post, the, I mean, the New York Times. They're all having to fire staff. Why? Nobody wants to read your crap anymore <laughs> because we know you're lying, right? right. And, yep. But the media has also, they're the ones taking the words and calling the right racist bigots. And, you know, all the things you mentioned before. And that's where then, and then like you said, like you said, with January 6th, we still have people in jail for going into the government building. And well, and they were raided. Like FBI came in and raided people yes. just for being there, just yep. for being there. Yep. That, I mean, I don't know how that can't frighten people, What regardless of what side you're on, but I don't mm-hmm. think people actually realize what's, what's going on here. I mean, I think they're just because the media is portraying it so differently. Um, It's just because it's not even, I mean, I guess it is a left and right thing, but I mean, you know, when you kept saying the left, Holly, I mean, it's really the media. I mean, you know, it truly is, but but the media is controlled by, I mean, I I don't, I don't know. Can y'all just, let's just, let's play this scenario out. Like let's say Trump wins in, in 20, you know, this election, you don't think there's going to be an, an insurrection by their terms? Right. That's announced. It ain't going to be called an insurrection then, though. It'll be an insurrection then or no. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. It's a peaceful riot with burning down of buildings. <laughs> yeah. One thing that came to mind as you were speaking was, um, I thought this, there is a shortcut to tyranny. And that shortcut is through chaos. Mm-hmm. Right. Because for most of us, we understand we can see tyranny coming as our rights are being depleted. However, when there's chaos, you get a shortcut to tyranny because in chaos, everything, all you want to do is to let the chaos stop. Mm. And so you, many people will be willing to give up their rights just for the chaos to stop. And that Mm. creates a shortcut. To tyranny, because those people who said, who tell you we are going to stop the chaos, they become the saviors. Mm-hmm. And, and then they will say to you, in order for us to stop this chaos, just give us a little bit more of your power. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. lend it to us a little bit. You know, just allow us to break into your churches and, and send spies into the Catholic church and start listening to people, mm-hmm. um, those conversations that way. You know, let's save you from the, Incoming, you know, insurrection, incoming um, 
coup by taking a little bit of your rights away. Mm-hmm. And those who want to keep and maintain power and those who want to expand their power will look for opportunities to create this shortcut. So if you remember back in the day when Rahm Emanuel, um, Barack Obama's chief of staff said, never let a crisis go to waste, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So when he spoke those words, he was saying basically, hey, if a crisis arises, let's take advantage of the crisis and use it to get more power. However, since that time, it's changed a little bit. Now, I believe the narrative is not take advantage of crises, is can we create the crises that we end up taking advantage of? Yep. And if the population is ignorant, very easy to create a crisis that they then claim to be able to save us from. And people will willingly give them their power. We saw that. We saw that in 2020. We saw I'll, I'll not go somewhere. I'll shut my business down. I'll not go somewhere. I'll put a mask on. I'll do, I'll get a, I'll get a shot. I don't want. We saw people comply in droves. In fact, the vast majority of Americans complied. Why? Because they were scared and they were trying to be good to their neighbor. That's what they, that's what they believe. That's how it was couched. Exactly. That's exactly how it was couched. They played on our emotions. And I look back and I say to myself, the greatest decision I ever made in the last five years was not allowing my kids to get that injection. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) And I look back and I'm like, I am proud that I I was able to stand up to that. And granted, I live in a state where they didn't go crazy with these restrictions and rules and things like that. But that's something that I am really happy I didn't do. Yes, Um, absolutely. And there's so many people that like no regrets. How many people who didn't get it have regrets? Nobody. And this is not to shame or blame anybody who did get it because we don't want people to have regret. We just want you to have the be empowered with knowledge. And we want you to be aware, like just like Alma says, just like we've talked about, don't let fear and chaos control you. Take the emotions out and it's facts over fear. Yes. Take a step back and look at the facts. And look, I am an emotional person. Okay, I am going to tell you right now, I am the first person to say I'm a reactor, not a responder. I am working on that and I am a work in progress. But I have, I mean, we we almost, you almost have to Mm -hmm. keep telling yourself, you have to look, what are the facts here? What are the facts? And we always keep looking at how in the hellfire are these people seeing it from a different point of view? Just like, you know, even circling back to, just your situation coming over and everything you had to go through to get here legally. And then looking at the freaking, you want to talk about chaos. What I want to say is like talking about creating chaos. Yes. Like, so I want, we want to get your your take on what is the intention behind, because obviously we have a crisis. We've had a crisis last time we talked to you. Um, And, you know, I I wanted to say you are the example of what, as Americans, we're all told immigrants are, the dreamers, the ones who want to come and make a better life for themselves or do more, be more, have more, all those things in America. And, um, you know, anytime in any country, whether we were to move somewhere or someone was to move here, I believe that the country wants the, the people to who come into the country to be an asset. 
mm-hmm. to the country. Um, so what do you, what do you think are, are the 7 billion, 8 billion, 9 billion, 10 billion, however many billion people who have come across our border since 2021, are they all dreamers? <laughs> I mean, also like we understand there are people who come here to seek asylum, right? They're like, you're coming from a country like, you know, with a military di- dictatorship, people are being slaughtered in the streets. They're escaping certain death. And, and we, that is a situation where you want to help people get out of those situations. But what is this that's going on? Like, mm-hmm. what is this crisis chaos? And are these, I mean, what are these people doing? Why are they, why are, why is this being allowed? Like in your perspective? So I'm going to circle back to what I talked about with respect to our language. So if you remember at the start of the Biden administration, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks with the administration saying there was no crisis at the border. They literally changed the definition of crisis to cover what was happening at the border, right? And when you would ask the press secretary at the time, is there a crisis at the border? No, there's no crisis at the border. When you would ask the you know, Homeland Security secretary, he would say, the border is secure. Don't believe your lying eyes, basically, right? <laughs> and we had video of people streaming across caravans, people wearing shirts saying, Biden let us in. Yep. And yet we were told there was no crisis at the border. And then, of course, the vice president was appointed to be the czar over <laughs> the border. And, and then what did she do as well? She, she gaslit us. She didn't go to the border. And when she finally was shamed into doing it, she went to a place where there was no crisis and declared the town before she showed up. Yeah. So we're living in illusions. Basically, we're jumping from one illusion to another. And another narrative that is being pushed is this idea that anybody who is streaming across our border is a benevolent and ready to become American, you know, individual. There is an assumption that somehow all immigrants are this altruistic people who are seeking a better life. However, that is naive. And one of the things I I explain in the book is my understanding of the difference between the two political factions. And one of the things I point out is that one side lives in reality, which is ugly, which is painful, which is sometimes heart wrenching. Mm -hmm. And then the other person lives in complete and utter fantasy. Yes. And In one scenario, we judge success based on results. And on the other side, we judge, they judge success based on intentions. Intentions. So they say, well, we intended to help people. We intended to create a better society. We intended this. And because of those intentions, we are true and we are right because we had good intentions. And I'm saying your good intentions mean nothing when they destroy the lives and livelihoods of the people that you are intending to help. That's right. And so when I think about what is going on at the border, first, I think it attacks a fundamental reason why people like me choose to come into this country, which is the rule of law. Mm -hmm. And the way you begin to eat at the foundation of any society is to undermine the rule of law. Mm -hmm. And if you see what is happening in our country, all over the country, with respect to crime, you know that this is a concerted effort to undermine the foundations of the country and to sow the chaos that I'm speaking about. 
right? And so once again, it creates chaos to allow people to blatantly circumvent our laws. And people on the left will say, well, you know, people have a right to to claim asylum. And, and they, as long as they can step foot in this country, they can claim asylum. And yet we know that many of these people are coached on what to say. And we know that asylum usually is supposed to be claimed in your first safe country, the first safe place you get to, mm. right? That is where you claim asylum. We know the rules. We know the laws. However, we are allowing this to happen. And the fact that the people who are coming are not people from, you know, Mexico or mm-hmm. neighboring countries. People are coming from China. Yeah. People are coming all the way from China and they're coming into our country. And many of these people are not families. No. Yeah. Many of these people are military aged men. Like when I wanted to join the military, um, when I came to America initially, I was not allowed to join the military, even if I wanted to, because I had to have a green card to do so. We have military-aged men. And recently, I saw a video of um, Mm -hmm. one of the leaders in the Senate, Democrat leaders in the Senate, basically saying, oh, maybe if these people want to serve in our military, we should allow them to serve in our military. I'm like, can't you see what you are doing? Like, how can we be so played that we refuse to see. And the only thing I can chalk it to is this is deliberate. It has yeah. to be deliberate. I don't point. know what the end game is, but you can't be that naive. I don't know. I, I, yeah, you can't be that naive. Yeah. Do you think it's for votes? Do you think it's for like, because that is the only theory I've seen is that like, oh, they're allowing this to continue because they could have stopped this a long time ago. We all know that. Let's be real. Um, because, but how are, are they, are they really going to let people without a valid ID or non-citizens vote in this upcoming election? Is this what we're going to see? I mean, um, I don't know about the upcoming election, but I think um, one of the things that we should note is that a lot of times as people on the right, we're thinking about the very next thing that is going to happen, the next election, the next bill, the next thing. However, a lot of these people who are orchestrating a lot of Uh, the things that are happening in our country have a long-term view. Mm -hmm. And now that a lot of people are talking about, Hey, are they going to let people vote in the election? That's a short-term thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And they can easily distract us by maybe acquiescing temporarily to, Hey, okay, we're going to make our voting a little more secure so that they can take away that narrative and say, Hey, guess what? We secured the voting and therefore your whole fear that we're going to turn these illegals into voters, that's not true. However, they say when you see that distraction, you always have to focus on the other hand. What is the other hand doing? And I saw a video recently that I was thinking this before I heard, I saw the video and saw the evidence. But basically think of it this way. Our country and our representatives are based on the population of the states. And so when you go to Congress, that's based on the population of the states. And if you remember, during the Trump administration, when we had the census, the courts ruled that you could not just count American citizens for the purpose of representation in Congress. And so think about the long term. In the next census, any state, all the states that today are losing congressional seats 
because people are leaving their policies behind, places yeah. like California and New York, they can shore up and regain those seats just by having more illegal immigrants. So they don't actually have to get them to vote to okay. keep and they maintain power. Count. They just have to get them to count. Ah, I haven't even thought of that. Like, I mean, no. you know, I knew that there was something or could be something. And I, right. wow. Holly, I did send you that video. I don't know if you want to play it so people can hear what the what they are proposing in the bill that Alma is referring to. Yep. Um, and I also wanted to mention, like, Amy, maybe you said when you, when we were talking about the voting, um, I don't know if y'all have seen it floating around. Somebody had posted that in the airport that they are not even making um, immigrants um, have a photo ID. They don't have to do, yeah. they don't have to share photo ID. Meanwhile, we, we just did $400 for a passport to go to Mexico. Yep. <laughs> for a we, trip. And also we do. So just as someone who's been traveling as of late and seen for myself, what the signs say, they tell us that they are taking our photos that they will not save them. This is what's so bizarre. So as an American citizen going through with the documentation, they're taking our photos and it says they will not save it, I guess, past 12 hours. I can't, I don't quote me on that, but it's something like we're eventually going to delete your photo. You're right. No, of course they're not. Of course they're not. And so we feel like we're being surveilled. Meanwhile, illegal immigrants have their separate line to go through where they don't have to show anything. And you're like, how is this America? They're here illegally. I don't understand how we preferential treatment to lawbreakers, but that's that's Biden's America. And and, and that's Newsom's California. You Mm. give preferential treatment to the lawbreakers. Right. Make it make sense. And your reaction to this is what I feel is the goal is to make you crazy. Right. It's to create the world. (laughs) It's to create the world where. You begin to doubt your own sanity. Yes. You're like, mm-hmm. I can't understand why this is happening. Why nobody's stopping it. Why yes. people who are supposedly educated, who care supposedly about our country, why this is happening. It gets to the point where, you know what happens eventually? You shut down and say, I'm just going to block this out. Mm. I don't care anymore. Nothing makes sense. I'm not going to vote. And I have seen so many people on the right who say, our voting is rigged. I'm not even going to vote anymore. Oh, gosh. That's the worst and thing. I look back and, and, and look at what happened in Georgia. And I say, Biden could have been stopped in all these policies right. if Georgians hadn't stayed home. Yep. And mm. given up two Senate seats yep. to the Democrats. That's right. And so what they do is create the chaos and sane people like you and I yeah. will get frustrated over time. Oh, My yeah. wife does not listen to politics because she can't stand it. She's yeah. completely checked out from, yeah. from and, and so many people are as well. So many are. So they many feel are. like I can't handle it anymore. It's too chaotic and it's too crazy. And I just want to maintain my sanity. And so what do we do? We're not motivated to go yeah. and actually do the very bare minimum, which is vote. Vote. Vote, vote. so well, that you I- don't cede power to the other side. Right. And I get that, but, and I also feel like it also gets you to the point, I mean, and I admit it too, where you almost feel like, okay, you keep thinking, 
you know, that willful positivity where you're like, the truth will prevail. Good will come out. Some, it, it can't be this evil. They can't win all this stuff. And then you see the things like the border, like recently with the bill that they just did, where all these billions of dollars are going everywhere else but our border and including this is all sides like Republicans. And and then you get a tiny win. And I'm just saying it's a tiny win because it ain't really a win, but I'm excited that they at least voted to impeach Mayorkas. But what's so really sad, what's really sad is that it was only by one. Hardly. Doesn't even mean that it's really going to happen because it still has to go through the Senate. And how scary and sad is it that, because you do start getting to the point where like, is there going to be a change? How are they not even seeing this? Because then you do start feeling hopeless, helpless. What are we going to do? And right, so they're passing that bill in the middle of the night while we're all asleep. Exactly. And, and so it's like, well, we're powerless. I mean, what do we do? You know? Exactly. Right. And that's the bottom line. You feel powerless. Yeah. And when you feel powerless, you know, the, I say the worst thing you can do to a person is to hide from them their potential. And yeah. that's basically what our political system is doing to us. It's hiding from us what Mm -hmm. our political potential is. And what that means is, what is the worth of our voices? Like, Mm -hmm. if you don't understand the worth of your voices, if you don't understand the worth of your activism, if you don't understand how these things move the needle, you know, you give those up freely because you don't see the needle being moved. And I think on uh, on the conservative side of the aisle, for the most part, because we have this inherent belief in individualism and you know individual rights and liberty and, and things like that. I think one of the challenges that it poses for us is that we have a whole bunch of siloed talking heads. We're mm-hmm. all silos. We have created all these lanes. And then because we've created so many lanes, then suddenly we have bickering among each other. Yeah. Because you know, you have your lane, I have my lane. And when you come into my lane, it seems like we're encroaching on each other and things like that. And I'm like, the other side is united in their language, in their, you know, policies, in their, they are united and they speak the same language and they say the same thing. And because of that, there is an illusion that they have more numbers than we have. Mm-hmm. There is that yeah. illusion that the fight is already lost. And I think that's something that we need to claw back. We need to kind of begin to unite our voices in a way that creates a wave throughout the country. And I think it's beginning to happen, especially among African-American men. But we need that wave to continue. We need to start piercing the walls that we've been told we cannot go beyond. We, we need to start going into places where we've been told we've already lost. We are seeding the youth to the left today. We are seeding the youth completely to the left. We should take back that territory by speaking to their hearts, speaking to their concerns and helping them see behind the curtain. That is what we need to be doing Mm -hmm. and we need to be united to do so. And I think that to your point, we've got to take back our media. We've got to take back our our educational institutions. Mm. You know, we we can start right there. And we're seeing that right in the media. You've got the rise of the Michael Schellenberger's. Well, Mm -hmm. really, Substack, Michael Mm -hmm. Schellenberger, Matt Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, Barry Weiss, the Free Press. And all of these journalists would have told you they aligned with the left at one point. They were Joe Rogan said, I've never voted Republican in my life. But what are all of these people doing? They're searching for truth and they're now reporting on it and they're growing in numbers. And, and Tucker Carlson, you know, yeah. gets more views now 
that he left Fox News <laughs> when he was on it. You know, and what does that tell you? There is a hunger for the truth on mm. both sides. There is a desire to get out of the matrix on both sides. But what we have to do is stop rewarding the entities that have really controlled us with the narratives. And that includes where you send your children to school and what universities you support and whether or not you're sitting quietly still making your donations or paying your tuition dollars, knowing full well that Qatar is sponsoring their Middle Eastern studies program and it's not being reported to the Department of, of Education or whether you know that DEI there is a DEI officer that oversees the policies of the schools to make sure that your white children feel like they're the oppressors and your children of color feel like they're the victims. We've got to stop playing the game. We've got to stop supporting the things we know are part of the problem. And unless and until we wake up and realize all of our futures and freedom is at stake, especially our children's yeah. then, then, and we just keep playing along. We just keep praying. We can put our heads in the sand and it'll go away. That's not happening. And I we think, have to do something. Yeah, uh, definitely. I agree a hundred percent with that. Um, and I think one of the things that um, the reason why I created the platform that I have is because I believe that the way that we do that is to speak in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, we need to speak in a different way. I believe there are a lot of people today who are disillusioned by what is happening with our economy, who are being gaslit and told that the economy is doing well when they are being laid off. My company had to lay off, you know, 45% of the company. Wow. And people's lives were impacted. And mm -hmm. we are hearing every week new layoffs going. Yep. And yet we're being told the economy is creating 300,000 jobs. Right? And so all these things are happening. And that's why we need to speak differently. And, and what I mean by that is there are a lot of people who see what is happening, but they, the, the narrative about conservatives or the narrative about the right have been so ingrained in their psyche mm -hmm. that even though they're seeing that things are not working out, they just can't bring themselves to vote for the other side. Mm -hmm. It's almost like, think about it this way. It's almost like you've grown up thinking, let's assume that Al-Qaeda is the other side, right? And you've grown up being ingrained that the principles, the values, the, the goals, everything of this organization is to destroy you. Mm -hmm. No matter how that your side treats you, it always seems to be better than agreeing with the other side. And that's the challenge. And so the question that I ask myself is, how do we break through that narrative? How do we do that? And the way that I have chosen to do that is, the way you lead people out of a cult yeah. is not to berate them on their way out. That's right. Right? It's to recognize that they need to be helped. And so I ask myself, what is the goal of speaking out? Is my goal to tell people, hey, you are... You are brainwashed, you're bad, you're how dare you fall into this trap and so on and so forth. That's a lot of the approach that I hear on the mm -hmm. right. It's owning the libs and making them feel like they're dumb and they're crazy right. and they're so on and so forth. That's not my goal. My That's goal is, and if you remember from my book, I talk about coming here as a missionary. As mm -hmm. a missionary, 
one of the biggest things that I had to do was to look at everybody as a potential convert. Mm. Right. Mm. And so the way that I approached people was to see beyond their current estate and look beyond that and look to their future as a convert. And what that means is that the way I approach them, the way I speak to them had to exemplify the kind of values that I was preaching about. Yes. Right. And That's so the same way as conservatives, we have to make it easier for people to transition. We have to create that bridge. And yes. that bridge usually comes with empathy, comes with compassion, comes with genuine love for the well-being of those people we're leading onto that bridge. Absolutely. And we need more of these bridges. And that's mm -hmm. what I am hoping to do is create that bridge and help people transition from the abusive relationship they've had with yes. that partner, their former partners, and show them that there is love on the other side. There's peace on the other side. Yes. There is success on the other side. And yes. that starts with speaking in a way that draws people closer rather than pushes them away. Um, yes. There's a proverb that I used to quote all the time. I, and I tell my daughters this all the time, honey catches more flies than vinegar. Mm -hmm. And even though vinegar is a disinfectant and can you know, sure. use, be used to clean, and can be, you know, there are so many great things that come with vinegar. Yes. And yet, if you put vinegar in your mouth, the first thing you want to do is spit it out. Spit it out, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so how do we make it a little more palatable? Mm -hmm. How do we make the transition a little easier? And it starts with first genuinely caring for the people we're helping. And then um, the other day I was thinking about this. I said, if I came to your house and let's assume that you are a devil worshiper, let's assume that that's the thing. And you have skulls and in the blood and things all over your house. And then I come into your house. And the first thing I do is start taking down all the things that matter to you. Mm. And I start ripping the walls down. And I'm like, yeah, I want to convert you to my way of thinking. But in that moment, all you see is someone destroying my livelihood, yeah. destroying my reality. And most people are not going to be converted that way. No. Some people may, but most people are not. And that's why we need to change our approach. I, I think that's important too. I think that's a really, that's wisdom right there because I do mm -hmm. think here's the biggest challenge too, Alma. Those of us who can see what's happening, when we do speak out on it, knowing full well we're going to get backlash because when you come up against a cult and you are challenging their beliefs, you are going to get you're going to get hammered. I mean, that, that, I mean you're going to get pushed back and you're going to get attacked. It's almost like trying to rescue a stray dog that's been abused. And all you're trying to do is pick the dog up and carry it to safety and give it food and shelter and a bath and, and, and whatever it needs. But the dog's biting you because it's scared. It's, it's, it's attacking you because it doesn't understand what that you're really just trying to help. That's what we're living in right now. And so many of us, and I'm not really even speaking personally. I just see this happening. You try to stand up and just like we did with the vaccine, Chris and Amy and I tried to say, hey, there's evidence. This is not safe. This is not effective. Just please read and get informed before making your decisions. We weren't telling people what to choose. We were literally saying, here's what we've seen. We found credible evidence from some of the top people in the world in their fields. And people came against us and attacked us sometimes viciously, 
for trying to help them. They couldn't see it as help. They saw it as an attack on their beliefs, uh, basically their religion, if you, if you will, in a way, right? And I think that's where you have to just operate in an awareness that that might happen. Then that's where they're coming from. And as you said, let love prevail and still try to meet people where they are and at least give them something to think about and question. So perhaps their eyes will open just like ours have been opened. Exactly. So when you talk about that dog that you're trying to save, yeah. let's assume that the dog bites you and your reaction is to hit back, mm-hmm. right? Now right. you've created a new wedge, yep. right? You are the person trying to save the dog and now the dog doesn't trust you. Right. And so there, we have to be willing to endure a little bit of temporary discomfort Absolutely. as the transition happens. Yeah. Um, that means that the people who are going to initially transition are not going to be people who are articulate in their conservative principles or in their thinking or they right. may make mistakes. And we have to begin to accept that. And it's not that we're giving up our values, but we understand that people will, it will take time for people to transition their mindset and transition, you know, their lives. Because in for many people, this, it changes their friend groups. They, yeah. they get disowned. And so on. And so another tactic I learned as a missionary was this. Um, We had someone speak to us and he said, and I want you all to participate in this. Take your hands and clasp them together like that. Okay. Now, how do you feel? Does Does it feel good? Feels okay. Feels normal. Now take and move it one step and put it to the next one. Now, how do you feel? It's not as natural. It's not as comfortable. What do you want to do right now? Yes. You want to go back. Yeah. You want to go back. That's That's exactly how that transition feels like for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, they feel like this feels weird. It feels different. It feels, you know, and it's going to take a lot of time to transition. I am supposed to wear glasses. My eyes are not, I have astigmatism. I'm supposed to wear glasses, but I don't wear glasses. You know why? Because when you start wearing glasses for the first time, it takes time for your eye to adjust. And mm-hmm. I have never been able to endure that time where it takes it to adjust. Yes. And so I give up in the middle of that process of transition to the point where I have not worn glasses, even though I should. And, and what does that do? Because I have not worn glasses for so long, I can't see afar off. So this is a metaphor. I can't see. I still have the same problem. I can't see clearly when things are far away. So mm. that's the metaphor of if I, you don't get help in the transition process, yeah. you end up right where you started, where you still can't see clearly. And we have to be willing to sacrifice and stay with the people and help them. And, and, and sometimes we may be bitten, but we need to endure that process so we can bring people fully across so they can see what we see. Are you feeling like you're seeing that? Are you personally, like, um, just in your realm do you feel like you're seeing people wake up transition are you i know a lot of transition is occurring right now but i believe for the most part it's organic yeah and and what i feel is lacking is this needs to be a concerted effort like a memo needs to go out like where is the organization that is bringing these ideas together and promulgating these ideas and that's the challenge on the right is yeah. there isn't any organization. There isn't, you know, yeah. you have CPAC, but is CPAC really reaching out to people who are disaffected Democrats? Not really, uh, uh, you know, from my perspective. 
I don't see that. So we have all these silos that we've created and those silos, it's very hard for, you know, a liberal to walk into it without feeling intimidated. Every now and then you get a reporter or, you know, a blogger or someone go to one of those events and then come out completely changed. Right. Yeah. And then we see those videos where they're like, I went to a, you know, I I challenged myself to go to a Trump rally and this is what I found. And then they come and give us an expose. But most people are not going to be able to do that. And so how do we bring that community to them? How do we bring that to them? And I think it begins with, like I said, changing our our language and changing the way we approach this. Go ahead, Holly. And perhaps part of that conversation is I think all of us are done with the establishment Republican and Democrat. I think more people are done with the establishment in general. We're we're done with a two party system that is nothing but corruption and that just raises money to keep who they want in power, not necessarily who we want, but who they want to be our representatives from that party. Think Carrie Lake and that recorded video, (laughs) recorded audio. Perfect example. Perfect example. And so I think that as long as people think that we're saying come to the right or come to the Republican side, there's going to be even more reticence to like mm-hmm. and resistance to that because they think, well, no, I don't want to be on that side. <laughs> I don't think this side's good, but I don't want to be on that side either. Exactly. And, and so I think it's more of like you said, the conversations of let's let's just have are we all pursuing, which is how this podcast started, are we pursuing the truth and the facts and what's good and what what adheres to our constitution, what adheres to our American values. And I think if we had a movement that was about that and not about left, right, Republican or or Democrat, you're going to have more people willing to uh, come to that table. Right. Exactly. Like don't use the R or the D names. Right. (laughs) Well, and honestly, I even hate, not hate, but like when we say, left and right, Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, like it's all labels. And I just feel like it's honestly who is in search of the truth. Like what it, it's really more like, I hate like having the labels too, you know, I mean, and that, you can't help but say that because in general, you know, but at the same point in time, you know, just to, I, I feel like we want to, I wanted to share this story real quick mm-hmm. because it goes so lo- so well with this. I posted something recently. It was facts. Um, you know, it was a study and it was a, a tweet or a post that a doctor had said it was not nice. And I'm just sharing it because literally I just want to share the facts and present it to the people who aren't seeing it because mo- this is what we do. We expose what mainstream media and social media is not doing. Obviously, we do this on the podcast, but obviously there are people that are not listening to the podcast. Okay. Okay. I mean, we're not reaching everybody. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But and most people are going to choose not to. But there was somebody that commented on it. And then I responded. But here's what's really cool. She ended up coming to me in a text. I haven't even told Holly and Amy this. She actually came to me in a text. She's like, I hate doing this on social media. I never do this. She's like, I got called up in it. She was like, just I'm so sick of like the negativity on both sides. There was I wasn't sharing my negativity. No. I was sharing something that was negatively presented to the unvaccinated, unvaccinated mm-hmm. by a doctor and then sharing the actual studies and saying, you need to see this, right? But she takes it. And a lot of people, this is a bit, I like that we had this conversation because she took it as, you know, sometimes she said, sometimes the tone doesn't come across the right way. She's like, I don't want to argue. I just, I, you know, there are sides on, on both sides. Basically, she was saying she sees my point, but there's another perspective. I said, I get that. I totally get that. But then I started, I sent her a voice message. 
So when you say changing the language, changing the approach, Mm -hmm. and so many times we are just posting, I don't do a ton of videos, you know, on social media. (laughs) This is where people hear our passion and our intention. But she actually said, after she heard my voice message, she said, you know, I really do get your passion and where you're coming from. And I understand, you know, like, and Mm -hmm. it's not that we agree on everything, but I actually found out that while she thinks this, that I don't necessarily agree on, she does agree. We do agree on a lot of things. And I think it goes back to what we've talked about before. If we actually start having the conversations and not just the tit for tat, not just trying to prove another side or, you know, have it rooted in any negativity, but try to come, like you said, uniting, we're going to find find out that we're going to agree more than we disagree on things. And there are so many things. It's just going to take one thing. Like, you know, it took the, it took 20 COVID for me to start really looking into childhood vaccines. You know, it took me from that to the childhood vaccines. It also exposed me to trafficking. Like, I mean, it's crazy how all this stuff, stuff but some people were fine with that. But then when it came to the kids, they're like, no, not my kids. Then when it came to the trans trans stuff, you know, in males and the females world, that's people's line in the sand. Then it came to the anti-Semitism. Now that is people's line in the sand. Every little thing is going to wake people up. And we just want to remind everybody that we're all here from a pace of truly not just saying it from a place of love and acceptance and care. And our intention truly is to help everybody. And and we want people to be fully informed and educated. Well, and I think that most Americans are good. Like you said, most people do agree more than they disagree. And I think it's once again, the media that is causing this huge divide. Like I think about it all the time, you know, when all, like all the George Floyd, the riots, the racism talk was like rampant, you know, and it's like, America's so racist. And I go out in my day-to-day life and there is not any racism to be found oh. anywhere. And so I'm like, well, my lived experience, like I'm, we're all just as friendly as can be everywhere we go. And yeah. at least where I live. I mean, so I'm just like, yeah. what are you talking about? You know, it's like, you start to realize that, like you said, don't believe your line. I was like, they, they tell you something, but you, it's not, it doesn't match your lived experience. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to stop too. It is Plato's cave, mm-hmm. if you remember that story. Yeah. Um, and others describing to you what reality is. Yep. Um, one thing that I would like to, um, I don't know if it's a pushback or, but I think that we give up too easily on the fact that our language has been distorted. So, yes, I don't like, you know, saying the right and the left and things like that. However, you know, conservative means something. That's right. right. It has it has right. values. No, it has principles right. associated with it. And so, when these people who have adulterated our language yeah. say, "Well, suddenly we're like, I don't want to call myself a conservative because now it has all these connotations," I say, "Let's reclaim our narrative. Oh, Let's like, I, I want that. to yeah. I want to go back. I I, I envision a, a social media campaign that says this is what it means to be conservative." Yeah, this is what it means to us, and and the reason why my video about um, MAGA Republicans, you know, caught fire was because people are like, "This is this is the true narrative of who I am," mm-hmm. yes. but that is not getting heard in the That's media, right. and so I feel like if we give up or we acquiesce to people changing these words, 
and turning those words against us. That's right. Then, because eventually they would say, well, Christian means something different now, mm -hmm. right? And are we then going to give up that title, yeah. Christians, because they yeah. say, oh, well, now Christian means something completely different. And I, I can foresee a future 10 years down the line yeah. where we would be afraid to call ourselves Christians because they would have changed our, our language to the point where our children and our grandchildren will say, well, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to be discriminated against. I'm just going to hide the fact that I'm Christian. Right. right. Today, mm. Jews are doing that. Jews are having to hide their yarmulkes and having to, you know, put away their stars of David. No. Because the narrative has pushed them to that point where yeah. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I just want to go to school. I, right. I don't want to to be a walking political commentary. Yeah. And so target. we hide. Yeah. It's right. working. And yeah. so I think we need to push back and not just say, well, yes, I don't call myself Republican. Because that is a party apparatus that I may not agree with, sure. but but I'm conservative. I am conservative, yes. and I'm not going to give up that title no. because people are trying to, you know, um, create a caricature out That's of right. what that means. That's and right. so, in my book, I have a chapter that I dedicate to embracing conservatism, and I come from um, a completely different perspective of conservatism because people think conservatism and think Republicans and then think, well, if Republicans have made mistakes in the past, then conservatism as a principle doesn't work. And I'm like, no, I, I came to conservatism not because I found conservatism here. Yes. I came to conservatism as a an ideology because I found that the things that had helped me survive and persevere and succeed in my life both in Ghana and in America, were the principles that were embodied in conservative thought. Right. And, and so we need to begin to reclaim that narrative yes. and turn back the clock and, and get our voices into the media well enough that yeah. just like I did with the MAGA Republican thing, I said, how in the world does saying make America great again suddenly connotate with racism right. and right. xenophobia and all this? And if we allow them to take that from us, we will have nothing That's because true. they will find the next thing that we care about, the next title that we have, and yeah. use that against us again. Today, we're insurrectionists. Tomorrow, we are coup supporters. And next time, we will not be able to be Christians. Mm. I think that's a really, really good point, Alma. Yeah. And I know that we've got to wrap up here soon, but I, I was back kind of back to your story and your book. And then, of course, in light of what we're seeing today, and Amy touched on this with you, when you look at the border crisis and the fact that you came here legally and you just got your citizenship in 2021. Is that right? Yep. Mm -hmm. 2021. You and your wife. Is that right? Yes. Or, yeah. You and your wife got your citizenship. And this will be the first election that you vote in. First presidential yep. election that you get to vote in, which is so exciting. So exciting. Um, quick fire questions. What do you think about um, voter ID? Should we have to show voter ID? I mean. Oh, definitely. Yes. Oh. In my it, uh, really quick in my yeah. country, even, you know, considered third world and non you know developing country. Yeah. Voting is done in person on a single day. And when you come and vote, they literally will put ink, indelible ink on your finger so that you don't, and that ink is going to stay there for a few days. So you can't vote twice. You have to have an ID and that ID is separate from any other ID that you have. 
you have to have a voter registration card. And somehow we're able to do all that in a so-called third world country. But in America, you know, getting ID is now somehow a racial issue. Okay. That is crazy to me. Clearly, as a black man in America, you're a black man in America, self-made, you know how to get an ID. Right. Yes. Be clear. Okay. Be clear. Okay. Now, um, obviously, I know I was listening to Joe Rogan and um, um, uh, Aaron Rodgers podcast. It's great. Highly suggest everybody go listen to it. And Aaron and Aaron said, I don't understand why we don't have a national holiday for voting. So then everybody's just thinking as you're saying this, I'm like, just have it all. Have everybody off. Have a bunch of different places to vote and do it. You go up or you don't. If you don't, and and then the only people who can do mail in is the people deployed overseas who who really the, can't. The vote. way we did it in in Ghana was also yeah. uh, precincts or polling stations were small enough that people would line up on that day of voting, vote, and then we would all come back at the time that the voting ends, and they will count the ballots in public in front of everybody. Wow. So they wow. literally grab the ballot and say counted literally in front of everybody. And our country is, you know, by now I think it's about 30 million people. Yeah. And they're able to do that. That's about the size of, you know, the largest states in America. Yeah. And we do counting one by one. So everybody walks away from the polling station knowing who won in that station and knowing the tallies. And then the representatives of the parties then take those tallies and then send it up to the national headquarters for the party. And all that is happening simultaneously all across the entire country. And so by the time the night is over, you know whose votes have been counted and so on. But we, and I know this is taking a little longer, but we have created this weird conundrum of, well, we want everybody to vote, no matter whether they're interested in voting or not, we have to chase them and force them and get them to vote. Not voting and not caring about voting is a political choice. As yeah. well. And so if you say, no, you know, you're not planning to vote and you don't care about this, but no, guess what? We will come to your house and we will take the ballot from you. And yeah. it is a civic responsibility. And by making it such that people can just pick anything because you are there standing in front of their face, trying to collect the ballot from them yes. is doing a disservice to the country Absolutely. because you are basically getting people to vote when they have not thought about the principles, they the values, the thing, the policies. Yeah. They don't have the background necessary to make an informed choice. And voting is about making informed choices. If you let people like lemmings just pick anything by throwing a dart and picking something, you are going to end up in a place that you don't expect. So well, that's where we're at. That's where we got. That's where we got, Alma. That's where we got in 2020. That exactly. The emotional voter, the vote against Trump. It was. It wasn't a vote for Biden and most people. It was a right. vote against Trump. And and here we are. Here we are. Exactly. You know, living out the consequences of ill-informed or emotional voters. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. We, we got to change that. I agree. Well, Alma, we want to everyone to go and get your book. And it, it, it just came out this week. Was it this week? Hey, so, right. I'm holding the book. So the book, um, actually, uh, I'll say this really quickly. It was my goal um, to publish a book by my 40th birthday. And owing to my incredible knack for procrastination (laughs) and my ADHD and not being able to focus, (laughs) here I am two days before my 40th birthday, finally accomplishing my goal. So Friday (laughs) is the actual release date. My 40th birthday is the day that this book 
will be available. So my American privilege. um, And it is, I say, the chronicle of my transatlantic journey Mm. to become American. And it's like you said in the beginning, it's a quick read. It's not complicated. I talk about my life journey all the way from my birth, all the way till the time I became American. And I don't know if you've seen this, but at the back of the book, I put in there and I barely told my wife and she was like, you didn't tell me you were going to put my picture in the book. (laughs) (laughs) But in the back of the book, I have this. That is a picture of yes. oh, yeah. my wife and I on the day we became American. I love it. And then another thing that I did as well, and you've got to read the book to understand the significance of this picture. So take a look. And it's a picture of someone with their hand approaching oh. a dolphin. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. You're dead. So you have to read the book to find out the significance of that picture. And in the front of the book, um, uh, my mom passed away a couple of years ago um, from breast cancer. And so I have in here a little tribute to my mom. And she was my inspiration. She was my cheerleader. She was the, the person who made me believe that I could do anything. Mm. And her dream started in America as well. Yeah. Um, and I came, I feel I came and fulfilled her dream. everything that she believed she could do because of this great country. And oh. I am, I'm glad to share this experience with you all. I'm glad to share this story with everybody. So go to AmericanPrivilegeBook.com. You will get all the links there to Amazon or other places you can get them. And I just finished recording the audiobook as well. So that should be available in a couple of weeks. I'm still trying to edit and get it ready for publishing. So that should be available soon. But all the information you will be able to find at AmericanPrivilegeBook.com. And they they can follow you also on social media. Yeah. Willful Positivity on Instagram. On Instagram and TikTok. um, You can follow me on Willful Positivity. Or as you can see my name right there. Just yes. Google my name. Apparently now I'm all over the place on Google. So <laughs> just Google my name. My name is unique enough that you will not find another person That's with right. that same name. So if you see right. that name That's out right. there, um, you'll be able to connect with me. Uh, well, Ama Ahene Apare, I wish you could run for president. I'm yeah. telling you, we just thank God for your voice and for your willingness to put pen to paper and to speak out and encourage all of us to do it in love. To remember to, first of all, I know we're, I think, mo- I think many of us are motivated from a place of love when we start, but then when we get into the, the war and we're taking bullets, we're like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're ready to fight, you know, but it is, there is a way to do this in a way that is more compelling to help people who can't see quite clearly yet, help them see more clearly. So yeah, bring the- people to the higher ground and it will be easier for them to see what you see. Absolutely. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, Alma, I think we got our title for our podcast. Okay. Right? <laughs> well, Alma, thank you so much. We're, of course, always in touch with you. And we will make sure that our our listeners and our readers all know where to find you. Thank you again for taking thank the time you. to be with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you. This oh. has been a pleasure. Always, <laughs> always a pleasure. Always love talking to you. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.